0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. And uh, while I'm just simply passing out uh, commendations, I'm grateful to Sean King for extending this invitation. Sean uh, was far generous with me uh, than I deserve, but I have thoroughly enjoyed my friendship with this creative minister, creative pastor, uh, good, good friend. And here's the thing that, you need to hear from me to say about Sean and his valuable ministry with Johns Creek Baptist Church. Sean actually believes what he preaches. There is sincerity sincerity, and integrity in him, and that is one of the special things about our friendship that I've appreciated, because when we get together socially, and when we get together, sure, we talk about work, and we talk about church, and we talk about ministry, But faith is foundational to this guy. And I hope to me as we share in that together. So to be here is an honor that I I, uh, do not take lightly. Finally, I want to say before our scripture reading, thank you, church. You have been a loyal supporter in so many ways to the School of Theology through Mercer University. You've believed in this school from the very beginning. You have called ministers, you have instructed students, you have been with us every step of the way. We cannot do what we do that is uh, to help prepare ministers to inspire the church and the world without you being a part of us. So I represent Not only the University and McAfee School of Theology, but nearly, uh, excuse me, over 900 alumni serving all over the world because you believe in the preparation of ministers who've answered the call to serve. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6 as we set this up. When Sean did invite me, he said, Greg, can you preach on such and such day? And I said, oh, I'd love to do that, Sean. Thank you very much. I thought he was going to say what most preachers do, preach on whatever you like, you know. That gives me the latitude to just work on the good stuff and give to you things that I have worked over and over again. But no, no, Sean said, well, I'm in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. Well, Acts is a good book. It's a very good book. So I said, oh, Sean, I'll be glad. Let me just know where I need to pick up. He said, Acts chapter 6, I said, you sure I can't pick up maybe somewhere else besides Acts chapter? No, Acts chapter 6, that's where I kind of need you to be, where we are. So so I. this is a familiar text of Scripture, and that's part of the problem with preachers, is that when you have something that's so familiar that you just think, that, that what else can we say about it? Uh, that becomes its own kind of creative challenge. So we're going to engage a familiar story in Acts chapter 6, which in many respects reaches the conclusion of the first section of Acts. This this notion of the Spirit of God is about to go global. But I'm going to leave that with the next person that's preaching. Because Sean gave me Acts chapter 6, where we're closing out one movement as we're leaning into the next movement. Beginning with verse 1. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the Word of God in order to wait at tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the Word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These are words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, open our minds, that we may think critically with the mind of Christ, open our hearts, that we may love compassionately with the mercy of Christ, and open our lives, that we may serve obediently in the very body of Christ, for this is our prayer, and we offer it in the very name of Christ, amen. We 've got two children, sons. They are young adults. We are empty nesting, and are you ready for this? They are gainfully employed. I appreciate that. Thank you very much it 's the great challenge and accomplishment of every parent that we hope to reach they 're good boys. My youngest son. uh, His name is Aaron. He is married. Uh, He is a soldier in the United States Army. He is stationed in Monterey, California, so don't feel sorry for him. He's living his best life now. He's a good boy, though, and I appreciate what he is doing, and uh, we're grateful to him. My oldest son, his name is Clark, and uh, starting back when he was in high school through taking culinary arts in the high school program, I wish Laura King were here. We'd want to commend her for her work that she does. It's teachers like her that helped instill in my son this sense of vision of how God is shaping and calling him. And so for the last 10 or so years, he's worked in the food service industry. For the last couple of years, he's worked for a retirement community, uh, Brandon Wild in Augusta, Georgia, where he has a very steady clientele for lunch and dinner. But he's able to really create together with the other chefs and line cooks and sous chefs and work together with a fantastic menu options. It's given him life and energy, and he loves this kind of work. And so Clark and I will talk about the food service industry. I'll listen to his own complaining about work or things like that. But quickly, he'll bring himself back around of why he does what he does. And so you pick up some of the vocabulary that has made me a more sensitive dad when I go out to eat. If you've never worked in the restaurant business, you at least ought to do it for a week. It it would change how you relate to people in the restaurant and, and so I pay attention to uh, some of the little details that otherwise I, I might I I might ignore. Now, in today's climate, you know that particularly in the food service industry, uh, it's difficult to keeping a full staff. That's a real problem that restaurants are dealing with. And so it's not uncommon when you go out to eat, you may see signage, help wanted. And sometimes you may even see some initials that might not mean anything to you, but they are important to a potential job applicant. It'll say something like help wanted, B O H. And FOH. B O H and F O H can apply. B O H means back of the house. Now, in the back of the house of a restaurant, that's where the dishwasher works, that's where the line cook works. That's where the sous chef will work. That's where the executive chef will spend most of his or her time. The back of the house, you don't see them usually when you go out to eat, but you and I both know you can't exist in the food service industry without the back of the house. The back of the house is who provides the substance the, uh, the, the, the things that, that nurture the, the very life. That's, that's why you go out to eat or get your food to go, because of the back of the house. You can't do what you do without the back of the house. But similarly, you have the F-O-H, the front of the house. Now, the front of the house are the people that you see. It's the host that will greet you. It's the table servers that will take your order and wait on you and make sure that your food gets to you in a timely way. They're the ones that have to receive your complaints when they're not getting their food as, as ordered or in a timely way, the front of the house. In reality, in healthy food service industry, you need both, back of the house and the front of the house. I share with you these two images of the restaurant industry as important images for the early church. For they are not just simply images of food service alone, but isn't that what the early church is all about? Back of the house. These are the apostles. These are the ones who are setting the table, providing the menu, giving to us, the early believers, the substance, the nurturing. It's, it's why we have gathered together in the first place. But then there's this dilemma that brings to mind that we need front of the house people too. The people who are about the daily task of getting it out there. The early church was not a noun encased in brick and mortar not a collection of saints gathered together along denominational lines. The early church is not a noun, but a verb, a a people on the move, a a people about a mission, a task, an urgency, a belief system that has so compelled them that they gather together and are about to go global with what this fresh wind, this pneuma is blowing into their lives. They're back of the house people and there are Front of the house, people. Now, we associate this story often with deacons, which may be why I was initially resistant to preach on Acts 6. No deacons need to take offense here. But when I looked over my files, I realized that the only time i really ever preached out of Acts 6 is at deacon ordination's. And I don't know why I've wasted 30 years of using this text for deacon ordinations. Number one, deacon is not even mentioned in this story. Did you know that? Deacon is not once mentioned. Oh, you can be quick to point out the verb, diaknakos, uh, diaknako, is mentioned. The verb, to serve, is very much a part of this story. But the office of deacon, it's not mentioned. Now, it is inspiring to what we have as the modern-day deacons, but nevertheless, I think that it's important to point out here that it's never been about fixing something in place, stationary, because this is all about how is God breathing a fresh word into the life of the ancient church and the life of the contemporary church. So here we engage this story of not just a story of a long time ago, but our shared story, our story today at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Now before I go any further, let's, let's get contextual as, a, as faculty might say in a school of theology. We've got to do a little bit of background work here. So when you look at Acts chapter 6 in this station here, y- you've got a church that's young. In fact, it's very young. It hasn't had a chance to glo- go global yet. It's located in a in a small place. There are, there are no buildings to speak of. They meet in houses. There are no denominational lines. They don't even have a policy and procedure manual in place. They are just gathering to Together. They are curiously diverse, though. And we know that because earlier in Acts it talks about the descent of the Holy Spirit and how people spoke in, in their own language and it was all and, and, and people shared in the understanding. So there are people from all over the world descending to this one place all because of the movement of God. Now let that sink in for just a moment. If we don't think of ourselves here at Johns Creek as a global enterprise, then I don't know where you're going out to eat. I don't know where you're shopping. I don't know where you're working because the world has come to us. And all of a sudden, we're seeing Acts come alive all over again. Who knows what is being stirred up in our midst, in our time at this very place. And so they're coming together, Greeks and Hebrews alike, from all over the world. And verse 1 sets the stage here, sets the drama, the tension. They are growing in number. They're flourishing, which is what we all want in church. We want to flourish. We want to grow. We want to know that there's life still left in these bones of ours and in this community of faith we've chosen to journey with. They are growing in number, but the scripture tells us, there was murmuring. Other translations will read grumbling. Other translations will read complaining now maybe my reticence with this text of scripture is right there in verse 1 because I get so tired of complaints you know I was thinking about this on the drive uh, here today I, I can receive 99 affirmations 99 affirmations but it's that one complaint that tends to occupy my time and my attention People can think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, which they don't because they'll talk to my wife and she'll disabuse them of that notion. They can think I'm the greatest thing in the world, but it's that one person that says, you know we're out of toilet paper on the third floor, right? Um... Who decided on on the decor in the preschool? I mean, what committee was going on there? Or, or uh, pastor, I I I didn't like what the choir sang Sunday morning. I mean, who's choosing the music around here? I I want this is. I'm not exaggerating here. Uh, at First Augusta, our services were live broadcast, and so you, you literally didn't know who was watching. And uh, I had a, a really bright red tie that I was really proud of. I thought it was a good-looking tie. I paid more money than I should have for this tie. And uh, word got to me in a letter form. Uh, from someone who was not even a member of the church, said, please don't ever wear that tie again. I mean, it's, it's not the 99 affirmations that keep me buoyed up. It's that one complaint that tends to distract me. And so when I read this story about, oh, there's, there's complaining. And we know that in the Bible, I don't think I can move past the carpet here. We know that in the Bible, that complaining is not always well received. For example, in in Exodus chapter 16, excuse me, in the book of Exodus, where we read about Moses speaking to the enslaved Hebrews and leading them into freedom and through the wilderness and ultimately into the land that God has promised them, they're really defined by their grumbling and their complaining. Why did you take us out of Egypt? At least we were being fed there. Where are we going to get a fresh drink of water? At least they had springs in Egypt. Complaining and complaining and complaining. There's parts in the book of Exodus where God in so many words says, I am sick of this complaining. So we know that the Bible has a problem with complaining too. But complaining can be helpful. Complaining can tell us That all is not right. That some things or something is wrong. Furthermore, to listen to someone else complaining is to invite discomfort in your own life. And to risk stepping into the complaint of another is to join with them in their discomfort. There's a word for that. It's called compassion, co-pathos. You're literally entering into the pathos of another, the compassion. And what's going on here, and I promise you we're not going to go through each verse this thoroughly. In fact, I'm really just going to focus on this verse, to be honest with you. What's going on here, what's the source of the complaints, is that the Hellenists are complaining that their widows are being overlooked in the food distribution uh, to their expense to the Hebrews. Now, what that means is it goes back as old as the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the believers are instructed, you take care of your widows. The widows occupy the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder. In an ancient patriarchal society, women depended on men for food, for shelter, and for protection. When you become a widow, you are extremely vulnerable and fragile. And so they're instructed, you take care of your widows. You take care of your widows. You take care of your widows. And this ancient church is going to take care of those most vulnerable to being overlooked, to being marginalized. And the Hellenists are Greek-speaking. That's what that means. They speak a different language. They may share belief, but culturally they're from a different space. And it's not as though the early church is being accused of wrongdoing. Nowhere in the text does it suggest there was intentionality behind this. They're just overlooked. You ever had that experience? Where it wasn't intended to bring offense or intended to neglect. They're just overlooked. So you could say it was just simply brought to their attention. A complaint is saying, hey, I know you feel good and I know you think everything is good, but, but all is not good. Now, I describe myself as an optimistic kind of person, and I think I think I'm being fair. I think people that work with me and uh, have known me through the years would describe me as Greg's optimistic, right? My wife will say he's not optimistic; he's idealistic, and that's a little different. My children will go one step further and say, Dad, you don't believe that the glass is half full. You believe it's just one great big glass overflowing, you know? So that's okay. Maybe the family's got it right. But because one of the things I struggle with is when I think everything is right in my world, I assume it has to be right in your world or you're doing something wrong. Personalities like mine don't always want to hear. That all is not right. To listen to a complaint is risky. It means I might have to change my assumptions. Change what I think. Change how I'm behaving. Because I dared to enter into the space of another who said, I'm being overlooked at the table. And it may not be intended. It may not even be with malice. But I'm being neglected. My reality, you see, is not the reality. And neither is your reality the reality. Only one holds the reality, God Almighty. And I know that we're quick to say, and His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. But Scripture gives us More to think about. It reminds us that when we engage in the other, God is incarnated. That is, God is present. It's not just an Advent, Christmas thing. For example, in Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, I love the language here. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? For if I ascend into the highest heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. And how Paul the Apostle writes to the church of Philippi where he says, Who though being in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself and became one of us. Yeah, my reality is not your reality and your reality is not the reality. But when we get in each other's space, something sacred takes place something is being incarnated among us and that something is someone and it is holiness all over again and brothers and sisters there's no greater time than in our culture today than we need to be leaning deeply into this let's just look at the church for a moment churches have been divided over so many things for so long Oh, it's such a joy to come in here and hear the singing and hear the laughter and hear the, I think, very natural responses to what's taking place here. But, but you and I both know it's not well Among congregations, there are people complaining about music, complaining about the preacher, complaining about the deacons, complaining about this or that or the other. I was on the phone with a pastor this morning, and and we were just kind of talking about another pastor whose church is in trouble, and he's in trouble, and he said, you know, I counted 15 churches before I quit counting about the churches that are in trouble in our orbit and that's true I'm speaking all over the place and to some degree churches are all struggling here and our tendency is to stop listening to each other and start blaming one another did you notice in the text nobody's blamed they're not saying you apostles are doing a lousy job who's your pastor they're not saying the Hellenists are a bunch of crybabies. Whining, 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 whining. They need to learn our language and get in step. Nobody's being blamed here. What's happening is holy. People are listening. I think about how this works in terms of just gender issues. You know, uh, My wife and I have been married 33 years. I'm not being trying to be clever here or anything like that. I don't know anything of what it's like to be a woman, let alone to be a mother. I've observed in our marriage that it's two very different things. That is her existence and mine existence. And, and though I've got a long ways to go, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to listen more. That Maybe my reality is not your reality. And there's something we can learn. I think about this especially in matters of race. It's taken me a long time, a long, embarrassingly long time to to figure out that what is normal for me as a white person is far from normal of a person of color. And that I would do better to stop talking or assigning solutions and instead listen. One more application, then I'll move on. Can we agree, Johns Creek Baptist Church, and I don't know much at all about you personally, (laughs) just a handful of you, but otherwise I don't know you. Can we agree that politics has gotten a little bit out of hand? Now, again, I'm I'm not blaming. I'm not going to blame a political party. I'm not going to blame someone holding office. I'm blaming all of us if there's blame. And, And I've been a pastor long enough, about 30 years, and I've, I have never served a church where everybody voted the same way. Not, not even close. But I've learned that it's pretty important for me, a person of political convictions, where I think I am right. And I'm a lot better off when I listen to someone who may have a disagreeing or dissenting opinion. Yeah, it's a two-way street, but I've got to risk because who knows, they may change me. But that's even not the purpose. The purpose is to believe that God inhabits that sacred territory when we dare to lean in together. Our New Testament professor, uh, Angela Parker, just published a book. And in it, it's a... uh, She's walking the reader through the purposes, in her case, in New Testament studies, and and she uses this phrase over and over again, that we may all get home together. I like that language. She says, specifically, that's the purpose of Galatians, that we may get home together. Not just you on the way home, or Johns Creek Baptist Church, but But all God's children, in all of its diversity, in all of its complexity, in all of its problems, in all of its complaining, that we may get home together. What we learn in the book of Acts is that the church listens, the church learns, and the church leads. We've got a wonderful alumni, his name's Jacobi graduate just a few years ago. Jacoby uh, is proud of his ancestry. He's African American. Uh, he is quick to teach, to educate, to to proclaim uh, about his background. And um, uh, I've, I've really appreciated his relationship to our school and in particular to me personally. JKB uh, serves as a chaplain In a federal prison in Indiana, Uh, he works specifically on death row. Uh, He's no pushover. In fact, he has served on death row during a couple of years ago when there were a number of uh, federal executions, and so he's literally with these, these inmates, many of them, with them during their last moments here on this side of eternity. Jacabe was sharing uh, with me recently that uh, he does chapel services every Sunday at this prison on death row. And he says, One of the inmates that comes every week is loyal and faithful, is covered in tattoos of white supremacy and neo Nazi symbols. He said, We shake hands, we share in communion. And Jacoby said he's one of the most emotionally honest people I know. And he went on to kind of share his thoughts about that with others. Uh, He said, and I quote, Imagine the amount of love the world is missing because we refuse to listen. Now, if this black man chaplain can embrace his fellow believer who's covered in the white supremacist tattoos and neo-Nazi symbols, as he can listen to the pain of this one facing death, the pain of regret and remorse, the pain of my life is soon coming to an end, to find communion, If that's not holy, I don't know what is. If God is love, and if love is patient, and love is kind, he said, we have a strange way of showing it. So, on the one hand, I'm sorry Sean gave me this text of scripture. It seems kind of obvious to me, on the other hand, I'm grateful that I didn't just read past the passage of complaining because that's where the back of the house and the front of the house was able to come together and serve the generous menu that the community needed at that time. Brothers and sisters, we have what this world most needs. Let's get together and listen and learn and lead and feed a hungry world. For goodness sake, let us feed a hungry world in Jesus' name.